It is Wednesday, the 19th of July. Let's pray together in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God of power and might, all authority comes from you. Enlighten with your wisdom all whom you appoint to positions of authority in church or state. All obedience is due to you. Instill in us a spirit of responsible obedience to all whom you've entrusted with legitimate authority. All honor is yours by right. Grant us a spirit of discernment so that we may honor only those who are truly honorable in your sight. O Lord our God, you alone are God and there is no other. Grant us an undivided heart to love and serve you with all our mind and all our strength. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. It is a better way to start a Wednesday, the Sunrise Morning Show. Glad that you're along here in the middle of the week. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. This hour, we'll talk to Dr. Jim Schrader about transferring control to God as though he wasn't already in control in the first place. Dr. Schrader will talk about what he means by that. We'll discuss more Old Testament stories you should know with Father Rob Jack. Gary Zimak will be along talking about a New Testament story you should know about how Jesus calms the disciples and brings them peace. Uh, it's a segment from Gary's book on that very topic. And then Andrew Swafford has uh, been walking us through the Old Testament and uh, using the Ascension Press Catholic Guide to the Old Testament. And today we get to everybody's book that they get bogged down on, and that would be Leviticus. So we'll give you, uh, I guess, a crash course on how to understand Leviticus, or at least understand what, what it's about. Right now it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. The Pope's special envoy for peace in Ukraine met with President Biden yesterday. A White House statement on the meeting with Cardinal Matteo Zuppi said, quote, President Biden shared his wishes for Pope Francis's continued ministry and global leadership and welcomed the recent nomination of a U.S. archbishop as cardinal. They also discussed the Holy See's efforts providing humanitarian aid to address the widespread suffering caused by Russia's continuing aggression in Ukraine, as well as the Vatican's advocacy for the return of forcibly deported Ukrainian children, end quote. Cardinal Zuppi ends his time in the United States today. A summer heat wave is leaving parts of the U.S. with more blistering temperatures this week. Mark Mayfield reports. Phoenix, Arizona reached at least 110 degrees for the 19th day in a row Tuesday, breaking the previous record streak set nearly 50 years ago. Phoenix has been under an excessive heat warning the entire month of July and remains under notice until at least Friday. Elsewhere, El Paso, Texas has been in the triple digits for more than 30 straight days. The heat has also hit states like California, Nevada, and Florida, affecting tens of millions of Americans. I'm Mark Mayfield. Japan says North Korea launched a suspected ballistic missile test. Japan's prime minister's office tweeted the news in the early hours of Wednesday local time. This comes following a U.S. Navy ballistic missile submarine made a port call in South Korea today. The nuclear-capable vessel's presence was announced by South Korea's defense ministry the same day. Days before, 
North Korea had test-fired what it called a solid-fueled intercontinental ballistic missile. Eight Catholic universities from across the globe have wrapped up a two-day conference in Milan pushing for an ethical embrace of artificial intelligence. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. Over 80 professors and researchers from eight Catholic universities in Chile, Spain, Australia, the U.S., Japan, Portugal, Brazil, and Spain met to discuss the challenges and opportunities presented by advances in artificial intelligence or AI. In their discussions at the conference entitled The Future of Catholic Universities in the AI Age, the researchers drew the conclusion that AI will lead to multidisciplinary overlap between hard sciences and social sciences. Professor Marco Carlo Passarotti, a professor at the Sacred Heart University, said the separation between humanities and science disciplines is likely to be relegated to the past due to the application of AI. Humanists have always made use of data, noted Professor Passarotti, but they have never had such a large amount of data at their fingertips and such a quality of massive processing. AI advances also present new challenges to researchers without threatening to obliterate their role. The SACRU professors agreed that AI can enable people to achieve a greater understanding of the world and themselves if it is used correctly and ethically. Universities offer a means to embrace the evolution of AI technologies and employ them in ways that put human beings at the center. Catholic universities have a strong duty to inform about the impact of AI, said Professor Passarotti, making it crucial to recognize and harness that impact to steer AI development towards an approach that is willing to respect human dignity and to avoid delegating moral responsibility to machines. In response to the challenges presented by AI, professors attending the SACRU Colloquium formulated a five-year strategy to foster cooperation among Catholic universities in their efforts to educate young people about the ethical embrace of artificial intelligence. I'm Devin Watkins. Meanwhile, Meta is unveiling its own AI technology to rival ChatGPT, the new program called Llama 2 is a joint effort with Microsoft. The Facebook company says the next generation of their open-source large language model will be free for research and commercial use, just like OpenAI's counterpart. A blog post from Meta says making it openly available benefits everyone. Any thoughts, Matt? Is that... Well, I mean, this is the... uh... All I can say, Anna Mitchell, is that, you know, people are constantly talking about how to ethically embrace AI and how to respond to the newly developing rapid, you know, artificial intelligence stuff that's happening. What if we just, like, stopped for a second? Like, what if we just, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. like, don't press any more buttons. Nobody, nobody press any buttons. Let's sit down and figure out what's happening. Um, I, um, uh, I had a friend who... Um... I don't know if she used ChatGPT. I'm not sure what source, like AI source she used, but I was telling her about the conversation that you had with Father Philip Loray a couple of weeks ago about um, AI writing homilies. And mm-hmm. um, so she uh, she told this, I'm assuming it's ChatGPT, but I don't know, uh, told this AI source, write me a homily on Roman's chapters i don't remember if she said six or eight it was one of the two and 
I was actually kind of impressed. I'm not going to lie. It's terrifying, Anna Mitchell. It's terrifying. It's, t- it's terrifying. And, yeah. I mean. Just so you know, I'm never letting a robot replace me here on this radio station. No. <laughs> me either. Me either. I will, I will get out something that, like. Like an, like an EMP, I'll set it off. <laughs> today, Stay away, robots. Today is Wednesday, July the 19th, and we are happy that you are here with us with your real ears listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on a Wednesday morning. It's 8 past. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. James Schrader. You can find him online at james-schrader.com. And we've been reading and reflecting on his book, Into the Rising Sun, which recounts his training and competing in an Ironman competition. Dr. Schrader, welcome back. Yeah, good morning. So we are in the midst of the actual competition now as we read through this book. You've completed the swim and the bike portions of the Ironman, and all you have left is, you know, to run a marathon. No big deal. And no big deal, right? No big deal. <laughs> so I know uh, you write in the book, you you were feeling pretty good at the outset of, of the run and, and about your timing and, and all of that, getting through those first two legs. But eventually you started to lose some steam. Can you talk about all of this, like, mentally and physically? Yeah, I think the point I really started to lose steam was that it was kind of a double loop course, and as you head back in, finishing the first loop, you actually see the very elite athletes that are finishing, and they're getting done, and everyone's excited. Then you realize you've got about 12 and a half more miles left to head back out on the very same course you just ran, and you know you're so close if you take in all the, you know, I mean, over the year of training and everything else like that, but in your mind, you're still thinking, I've got 12 miles, it's about almost 90 degrees, and it doesn't feel close oh <laughs> at that point. Okay, that is brutal. Do they do that on purpose to kind of mentally fatigue you? Well, you mean as far as the double course yeah, like that? Yeah, that's well, awful. I, I know, it sounds rough. I think the reason they actually do it is because it's way easier to maintain all the hydration and all the aid oh, stations sure. if you double loop it than if you'd had a single kind of track there. Okay. So, but it, it feels a little bit like <laughs> you're adding a little more element of challenge for sure. Yeah, so, certainly yeah. the the mental and and spiritual aspect of this. So what got you motivated again? Well, you know, it's interesting as I'm heading back out and I had a couple people fortunately at the turn that were close to me and had even helped me train. They were definitely motivators and you know, you'd see different people. My brother in law showed up and people on the course, I mean, if you've ever been out cheering someone on, you have no idea how much it means to have those people around you because the smallest of things, the smallest of encouragement definitely can really move you to keep well moving, in fact. But, you know, I started to find my mind go back even about uh, it was a, about a year and a half before. It was kind of my unofficial beginning up to training um, at a half marathon. And I had gone out kind of too fast on the half marathon and realized I was getting down to the last three or four miles. And I had this goal time in mind. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I've gone out way too fast, and I'm going to have to walk it in. And I really didn't want to do that. And, and at that moment, um, out in the country uh, near where we live, I suddenly had this sense that I just needed to transfer my fatigue, transfer all of the toil to God. And I needed instead of to focus on what I could do, I needed to trust that God could do so much more. And I actually wrote a uh, prayer about it, became part of my book, um, 40 Days of Hopeful Prayer, 
And I just at that moment gave it over to God and instead focused on what I could do, which was every little, you know, tiny intersection or, or step or whatever it was. And, and that became a big push from that point forward. You know, Dr. Schrader, I find that so fascinating um, just based on the, the gospel reading that we had this past weekend on the parable of the sower, where Jesus is talking about, you know, all of this seed gets scattered around and you have the, the seed that that gets on kind of shallow soil and it comes up fast, but then it just burns out. Um, and it sounds like you were able to avoid that and and became kind of the good soil, so to speak. Yeah, it's a beautiful analogy. I hadn't thought about that until now, but you're right. Like in some ways, I had to go deeper and much deeper um, in order to sustain what just felt brutal at the time. And so, you know, I had to kind of find where God lie and all of that and it, where God had really began my journey. Um, I think that 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 half marathon, looking back, was the beginning of a sense that there was so much more out there than I realized, and I had to return to that, and that, that transfer had to be made once again. Now, I don't know if there's a way to explain this, but sort of practically speaking, how were you able to mentally get there to transfer control to God? Well, I think what happens is you stop, and this sounds crazy because the end is really near in some ways, but you stop thinking about the end, and you start realizing that God is still giving me the ability to move right now, even if it's painful and it's difficult. And so what you do, in essence, I mean, at least for me, is that you start to focus on the individual movements and the individual places that seem so much more accessible. And so when I made that transfer, you know, sometimes I would look ahead at a light pole, or I'd look ahead at the next intersection or the next aid station or whatever it was, and I thought to myself, but I can get there. Like, God has given me the ability to get there. And if mm -hmm. I get there, then the next place, the next light pole, the next intersection, the next, you know, one of my family or friends, maybe I can get there too, right? And so you start to kind of recognize that all journeys, and this isn't just speaking about the Ironman, but all journeys in life really are about just getting to the next step, not about finishing it. And so when you do that, it's easier to make that transfer because you're taking on something that does still seem feasible when the way out there is just too far. Yeah, and I think can be especially true what you just said um, for anything hard that we have to do, but, but most particularly on those hard things that we don't choose for ourselves in life. Good stuff to, to meditate upon today. We've been talking to Dr. James Schrader about his book, Into the Rising Sun. It's linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Dr. Schrader, thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot. You bet. All right, it's a quarter past here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Let's take a look at weather across the nation. The Mid-Atlantic should expect some scattered showers early in the morning, and then again sometime this afternoon as storms bubble up. Interior parts of the Mid-Atlantic and Northeast will experience drier and slightly cooler weather today. Down into the Southeast, Overnight showers are expected to linger into today for areas in the southern Appalachians. Afternoon thunderstorms are expected to pop up in the coastal lowlands of the Carolinas and Georgia, as well as central and south Florida. Farther north into the Midwest and northern plains, scattered showers and storms are anticipated. Some could hold the potential for severe weather, mainly in Kansas, Nebraska, Iowa, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. The heat dome that's been sitting over the southwest continues to stay put. 
Southern Plains and Desert Southwest will be in the 100-plus degree territory. Scattered showers and thunderstorms expected in the Four Corners. 16 past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We're back with headlines right after this. For over 500 years, the church-honored spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola have formed many saints. This treasured way of personal prayer with God is now available to you for free. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com and bring Ignatian prayer to others. Lord Teach Me to Pray is approved by the USCCB. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com. That's lordteachmetopray.com. Lord Teach Me to Pray underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show. Central Fabricators is proud to support the Sunrise Morning Show, where you'll get news from the Catholic perspective while keeping you up to date on what's happening in the Vatican as well. It's also a great way to keep in touch with the Catholic faith throughout the week. Central Fabricators, based in Cincinnati, Ohio, is a family-owned business for over 75 years, manufacturing and repairing corrosion-resistant storage tanks, reactors, and pressure vessels. On the web at centralfabricators.com. That's centralfabricators.com. Tis the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. St. Augustine gives us tremendous insight as to why we should pray. He says this, Why God should ask us to pray when he knows what we need even before we ask him? may perplex us if we do not realize that our Lord and God does not want to know what we want, for as God, he cannot fail to already know it. But rather, he wants us to exercise our desire through our prayers so that we may be able to receive what he is preparing to give us. Eighteen minutes past the hour, here's Anna with headlines. The Pope's special envoy for peace in Ukraine, Cardinal Matteo Zuppi, met with President Biden at the White House yesterday. The summer heat wave is leaving parts of the U.S. with more blistering temperatures this week. And eight Catholic universities from across the globe have wrapped up a two-day conference pushing for the ethical embrace of AI. Well, just to... To, to go back on that for, for a moment, uh, Anna Mitchell, we've been talking uh, a little bit about education and approaches to education, and uh, it's all been kind of STEM or STEAM stuff. That's what's been kind of at the forefront of everything that everybody seems to be talking about, so much mm-hmm. so, actually, now that there are some Christian colleges and universities that have done things like scaled back or in the case of liberty university i think they completely axed their philosophy department Wow! (laughs) so um i say all that to say that if ai is gonna continue to compound its technological interest in that it's going to speed up faster and faster and develop more and more rapidly um maybe this is time to like quadruple your philosophy departments Mm quadruple your theology departments, quadruple anything related to studying and promoting a Christian anthropology. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like if you get into the tech world right now, I mean, it's going to be important to know how these things operate. 
but I feel like some of these tech shops are going to be taken over by the robots themselves, and there's going to be a lot of need for really smart, intelligent, faithful people who know what a human being is to stand in the middle of the square and say, hey, why don't we talk about right and wrong well, instead of just what's possible technologically? I think aside from quadrupling the department, what they need to do is start requiring students to take some of these classes because where they go and I mean it, you could quadruple you can quadruple your philosophy department but if students aren't signing up to take the classes then what good is what quadrupling this? your philosophy department going to do you need Five to philosophy gen eds as a as core requirement before you're allowed to like touch one of the robots yeah i think it would be a great part to put a great thing to put into your science programs some I philosophy some literature. Work it in there, yeah. academia. It's 21 past. Season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. If there is one psalm that bears a great fascination for Christians, it is Psalm 22. Like many others, it is a call for the Lord's help. But Psalm 22 contains elements that seem particularly Christian. The opening verse of the psalm was quoted by Jesus on the cross. Later verses give details of the sufferings that Jesus endured. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my prayer, from the words of my cry. My heart is like wax, melting away within my bosom. Indeed, many dogs surround me. A pack of evildoers closes in upon me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. They have numbered all my bones. They look on me and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my vesture they cast lots. O Lord, be not far from me. O my help, hasten to aid me. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Dale Paterka. It's 23 minutes past the hour, and you're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. So happy to have you along with us on a Wednesday morning. Father Rob Jack joining us again on the Sunrise Morning Show, host of Driving Home the Faith on Sacred Heart Catholic Radio here in Cincinnati. Father Rob, welcome back. Morning, Annie. It's good to have you. You know, we're going to be talking about a few more stories from the Old Testament that every Catholic should know, all from the book of Genesis today. What would you say, first of all, is the overarching theme of these three stories that you want to highlight? 
Well, it's clear. God is really, he desires to be intimately involved with the lives of all his people. And what we see is that he is. He's not some distant God. He's not a faraway God. But what's clear from the very beginning of Genesis, even in what they call the prehistory of Genesis, which is in 1 to 11 of Genesis, there God shows us how his love for his people and how involved he is with his people and how this relationship came to be. Mm. So how does that play out in Genesis chapter 3 when we see the original sin of Adam and Eve? Well, we recognize, first of all, how did the world, how did evil come into the world? Because God created the world good, and he also created man and woman very good. So what happened? And what we see here is now an understanding not so much a literal word-by-word word account of it, this day, this, it happened. Because, as I said, Genesis 1 to 11 has these, if you will, a prehistory or a history behind the history of the human race coming to understand itself in relationship to God. And the key here is that what God made the initiative to create us, why did we turn against God? How did we get to where we are? And in understanding that, the first thing we have to do, and this is really one of the biggest crises we're facing right now, is who is the human, who are the human race, you know? And that's why we can't, we argue, well, I think I'm, you know, I I might be a male in a female body or vice versa. And you're thinking, oh, wait a minute, let's let's get back to the basic anthropology that uh, the human race has has, uh, been, it's been revealed to the human race and what we have then been able to pull out from the original story of creation, especially the creation of man and woman. And we begin to see how God created man and woman, and how man and woman then, in their weakness, uh, were tempted away, and the effects of that. And of course, the the effects of that was, first of all, sickness and death, as well as a weakening of the mind to know the truth. And with those things, it sets up really the entire story of God with his people. God has come to us. He has invited us to share with him. And yet for some reason, namely human pride, we have chosen uh, to serve ourselves rather than God. And yet that is not what God, well, just as you were saying, not what God has planned for us. And and in Genesis chapter 3, just after they sin, we get that promise of the Redeemer. What I find interesting in Genesis 3, Father, is that it talks about how Adam and Eve heard God walking in the garden. Yeah. I mean, God was there with them. And that's what he wants for all of us. That's exactly right. And the first words God speaks to man and woman is, where are you? Okay. (laughs) I mean, that's a profound statement. The first thing God said, and we hear then from Adam and Eve, well, we hid ourselves because we were afraid and naked. Well, who told you you were naked? And then all of it comes out as it always does. And then we begin to see the nature, not only of of the, the status of the human race, but the very fact at the beginning, the human race is going to be involved in a terrible battle, yeah. okay, is that the serpent will strike at the heel of the woman who will give birth to the Redeemer, and the son will crush the head of the serpent, mm-hmm. which is the proto-gospel of Genesis 3.15. 
Well, I think we're only going to get to this next story, and uh, maybe we can save the third story for uh, the next segment we have with you, Father, and you can add another one next time. But uh, Genesis chapter 11, 1 through 9, the Tower of Babel. It's quite a—it really is a funny story, because what we see is the sheer pride of the human race. Come, let us build a tower so we can come and have a face-to-face conversation with God. Excuse me, you had a face-to-face <laughs> discussion with God, and you t- and you hid, you know? And the funniest thing of this is that when the, you know, God hears this is happening, it says, He looks down. So even from the human standpoint, we're up there way in the clouds, God says, what's going on down there? Mm-hmm. So you can still see you know, the human race on its own tries to reach God, but we don't get very far. And then God recognizes, well, if this is what they can do speaking one language, then we had better confuse their languages to keep them from destroying themselves. Yeah. And so it gives the technical term for Genesis 11 is what they call an etiology. An etiology is a story based on how something came to be in the world. Like how, did, how was wine created? Well, Noah needed some help. Uh, how was this created? Well, this was the case. And this is a story to help explain for us why are there different languages in the world. Mm. And uh, it was, in many ways, it was an act of mercy uh, from God so that we won't destroy ourselves. Right, just like the banishment of Adam and Eve from from the garden after their sins so that they wouldn't die in uh, complete uh What's the word I'm looking for? Just completely turned away from despair. God. Yeah, yeah. In despair. In despair. God's been in. God's been working to save. He's been saving our necks since we fell, since and we don't beginning. recognize it. Yeah, you know exactly. Well, the next one is the covenant with Abraham. We'll have to do that next time, Father. And I'm sure you can come up with one more. In the meantime, we've got driving home the faith linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Father, thank, thank you, you, Anna. All right, it's half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. The Pope's special envoy for peace in Ukraine met with President Biden yesterday. A White House statement on the meeting with Cardinal Matteo Zuppi said, quote, President Biden shared his wishes for Pope Francis's continued ministry and global leadership and welcomed the recent nomination of a U.S. Archbishop as Cardinal. They also discussed the Holy See's efforts providing humanitarian aid to address the widespread suffering caused by Russia's continuing aggression in Ukraine, as well as the Vatican's advocacy for the return of forcibly deported Ukrainian children, end quote. Cardinal Matteo Zuppi has been in the U.S. early this week and concludes his mission here in the U.S. today. Meanwhile, record-breaking heat is scorching the southern U.S. Phoenix yesterday reached 110 degrees for the 19th day in a row. That breaks the previous record for consecutive 110-degree days set nearly 50 years ago. The city has been under an excessive heat warning all month and will remain so at least until Friday in Texas. El Paso has been in the triple digits for more than 30 straight days. Extreme heat is also being felt in California, Nevada, and Florida. The two IRS whistleblowers who claim the Justice Department interfered with the criminal investigation into Hunter Biden will testify at a House hearing today. More from Brian Shook. 
House Republicans set the hearing after one of the whistleblowers, IRS supervisory agent Gary Shapley, went public with the allegations. The lead U.S. attorney in the Hunter Biden case and Attorney General Merrick Garland have denied the allegations. Last month, the president's son reached a deal to plead guilty in the tax and gun case and agreed to accept about two years probation and enter a diversion program. I'm Brian Shook. Arguments are set to begin today in a lawsuit filed by 13 women who claim that Texas's abortion laws kept them from receiving proper care while pregnant. The suit calls for clarification on the state's medical emergency exception after the women say they were denied abortions when they faced life-threatening complications. A humanitarian corridor with the Rome-based Sant'Egidio community has brought a group of Afghan refugees safe passage to Rome. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini has more. The 22 refugees come from an informal refugee camp in Islamabad in Pakistan, where they have been residing in precarious living conditions for nearly two years. They are amongst the tens of thousands of Afghan asylum seekers who have fled to Pakistan since the takeover of the Taliban regime in August 2021. Many are waiting for resettlement in other countries amid fears of deportation as the brutal crackdown on women and ethnic minorities in Afghanistan continues relentlessly. The refugees will be hosted in facilities in three Italian regions where they will be helped to become self-sufficient and integrated into Italian society thanks to a programme that includes housing, legal aid, language classes, enrolment in schools for children and help with employment. They will be joined in the following days by another group of 20 people from Islamabad. Humanitarian corridors are the result of an ecumenical collaboration between the Catholic and Protestant churches in Italy and of a memorandum of understanding signed with the Italian ministries of foreign affairs and of the interior. The corridors, which are entirely self-funded by the proposing organisations, aim to prevent perilous migrant journeys and exploitation by human traffickers and to grant people in vulnerable conditions legal entry through the necessary security controls by national authorities. So far, the humanitarian corridors have allowed the safe arrival in Europe of over 6,300 refugees, including about 800 Afghan nationals. I am Lisa Zingarini. Japan says North Korea has launched a suspected ballistic, ballistic missile test. Japan's prime minister's office tweeted the news in the early hours of today local time. This comes following a U.S. Navy ballistic missile submarine made a port call in South Korea today. That's the news. It's 35 past the hour. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. 
when you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. It is a difficult thing to have an exact idea of one's goal, but it is likewise true that all of us must perfectly pinpoint the virtue we are aiming to acquire. However, if we cannot do this, we must not lose courage or get upset. We must get as close to the goal as possible, because even the saints did not succeed in doing any more than that. Only our Lord and the Virgin Most Holy fully succeeded. Never believe the praises of people. At the very best, what they say is flattery, even if they do not recognize it as such. For Sacred Heart Radio, I am Father Chris Armstrong. Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Gary Zimak from followingthetruth.com. We've been going through his book, When Your Days Are Dark, God Is Still Good. Gary, good morning. Hey, Matt. Good morning. So today we get to talk about the apostles. I feel like we talk about them a lot when it comes to questions of fear and faith because they seem to run the gamut. Uh, And this is certainly the case uh, in the upper room. I wonder if you could Tell us a little bit about how you approached this particular chapter in your book. I certainly could, Matt. This is uh, this incident occurred on the actually on the day when Jesus rose from the dead. So the Lord had risen, but at the same time, the apostles are hiding in fear in the upper room. They're hiding in fear, or as the Bible says, for fear of the Jews. They're thinking that they got their leader. Now they're about to come after them next. So they're afraid. They they're hiding. In, in the room, behind closed doors, and lo and behold, Jesus appears to them. He appears to them in the midst of their fear, in the midst of their hiding, and he says great words to them. He says, peace be with you. And, uh, you know, we can talk more about the details that unfold, but that initial, that initial incident where Jesus appears to them, he breaks through their fear, and he comes to them, and he offers them his peace, that really is an attractive story to me, and, I, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. So many of us find ourselves hiding in fear at the, you know, for one reason or another. We might not be physically locked behind closed doors, but we are enclosed in, in you know, sometimes invisible doors and walls of fear. And the message for us is that the Lord will always find a way to try to break through to us and bring us His peace. Well, you might not be physically locked behind closed doors, but you might be. <laughs> you yeah. know, there, there are probably yeah. some people who do feel like 
I'm never going to leave my house. The world is too insane. Or, uh, you know, I, I can't leave my house because of some physical condition. Um, mm -hmm. Or perhaps um, there's just generally speaking, this idea that, you know, if I get out and mix it up, I'll fail uh, at something or I'll embarrass right. myself. So social anxiety. I mean, all of us can relate to some aspect of this. All of us have felt like we just don't want to go outside and face the world today. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Matt, I did write this this book in the, the midst of the pandemic. And at the time I wrote this, we were on lockdown. So we really couldn't leave the house. So I was really living this at the time I wrote it. Uh, but but it was uh, that, that idea of Jesus being able to break through whatever it is is causing me to be, that it, whatever it is that's causing me to be afraid— was a very comforting one for me. And, you know, it's just, this is just a further example of, we've talked about in the past the various storms at sea that are documented in the Bible, where Jesus calmed the storm. This is a case where he doesn't calm the storm. He doesn't take the problem away. He doesn't remove the source of fear, but instead he takes away the, he, he comes to the apostles and removes the fear inside of them. You know, I've said it before, sometimes he calms the storm, sometimes he calms the sailor. This is a case of that latter thing happening. Well, and he doesn't solve the whole problem at the same time, and he doesn't reveal the whole plan uh, all at once either. I mean, bear in mind, we're still weeks and weeks away from Pentecost when this happens, <laughs> right? So right. Uh, this is uh, Jesus speaking into a situation and assuring them, but not giving them all the information and not giving them the full scope of the missions. So, I mean, really that's kind of how it tends to operate in real life too, is that we don't get the whole answer all at once. We get moments of this stuff. Exactly. And, and I think I'm glad you made that point. What's interesting is that he goes on to send them out. He, he sends them in the Father's name, and of course he, the Church believes that he institutes the sacrament of confession after that, when he talks to the apostles and gives them the ability to or the authority to forgive sins. But prior to that, he says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. So he comes to them. The threat is still there, but he is sending them out to go into that scary world and, and do his work. And, and really, that's, that's the message for all of us as Christians. We are called to, as much as we're able, to get out into the world and, uh, and share the gospel, even though it could be frightening at times. Well, it's an interesting contrast, uh, what Jesus says, you know, giving the apostles peace compared to what the rest of the world, and especially the 24-hour news cycle gives us. So I just pulled up a a news site just to check and see what the messages are out there. Um, big tech is coming for your children. Uh, let's see, the government is uh, coming for your children. You've got uh, problems in wildfire territories you got shark attacks <laughs> you've got i mean I'm, wow that doesn't yeah. even cover the ads did you know that like what's in your breakfast cereal might be killing you uh, there uh gary i mean this is the exact opposite of the message that the world has given you yeah yeah you know matt so what happens is when you turn on your tv sometimes when you when you uh, go on the internet and you start looking around even if you're not afraid, you're going to find reasons to be afraid. But the problem is the world is presenting a partial truth. They're telling you why you should be afraid. 
they're not telling you about the one who is bigger than any of your fears. They're not telling you about the Lord and his power and his love. And that's what that's what we're doing here right now. We're using the airwaves for good. We're broadcasting the good news that and we're not denying that there's things to be afraid of. Yeah, there's there's dangerous situations in the world, but the truth is that Jesus can break through any of those situations and and bring us peace even while the world tells us that we should be afraid. Well, and that's something that's even built into the mass, right? I mean, this worship service that's happening every day, uh, every yeah. moment of every day around the world. I mean, this is one of the things that's just built in actually multiple times, you know, this greeting of peace into the liturgy itself that so many of us, you know, can tend to take for granted if we're not paying attention to it. Exactly. exactly. You know, it's funny, Matt, that you mentioned the, 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 the Mass, because when I was at Daily Mass the other day, I think this quite frequently, I think while I'm there, Lord, nothing can hurt me right now. I'm safe. You know, and that there's just a feeling of security when, I, when I'm able to go to Mass, and I, I'm fortunate enough to be able to go to Daily Mass, and, and when I'm there, I recognize that, you know, He's bigger. He's bigger than all these things that consume me and and these and what happens at mass gives me the power to go out into the world and do his work and deal with whatever it is that's stressing me out well and you know one of the neat things about catholic radio is even if you cannot physically get out of that house you can still pipe in the mass <laughs> over the airwaves that's right. right and and hear those words of comfort and make that spiritual communion so gary zimak you've always got great stuff to say and always uh ways to kind of Give us a fresh set of eyes to look at these familiar Bible stories. If our listeners want to pick up a copy of your book, uh, how do they do so? Matt, the easiest thing to do is head on over to my website, followingthetruth.com. Followingthetruth.com, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Thanks so much. Have a great day. All right, brother. Thank you. Speaking of a book we should probably get some fresh eyes on, Andrew Swaffer joins us next to give us a little of a crash course on how to understand the book of Leviticus, plus headlines with Anna Mitchell. It's a quarter till. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is. And put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare, 844-334-3245. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the Monk Shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. EWTN. 
communicating the faith. I feel that God has been really doing a work in me in the last five, ten years. I'm a convert to Catholicism, and I started to just really feel a passion to know more about the Catholic faith, and I started listening to Catholic radio all day. I'm not doing great things, but I'm doing small things with great love. EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic. Thirteen minutes before the hour, here's Anna Mitchell with headlines. The Pope's special envoy for peace in Ukraine, Cardinal Matteo Zuppi, met with President Biden at the White House yesterday. Record-breaking heat continues to scorch the southern U.S., especially in Phoenix. And a humanitarian corridor with Rome-based Santa Giudio community has brought a group of Afghan refugees safe passage to Rome. Next newscast coming up in about 14 minutes from now as the Sunrise Morning Show continues here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. It's 12 till. Joining us again on the Sunrise Morning Show is Andrew Swafford. He is co-author of A Catholic Guide to the Old Testament, and we are continuing our Old Testament Bible study using it. You can find it at ascensionpress.com slash Old Testament. Andrew, welcome back to the show. Oh, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. It is great to have you. And today you have the happy task of explaining to us the book of Leviticus, everyone's favorite. Um, tradition tells us it was written by Moses. And I mean, honestly, this is often the place when someone who has decided they're going to read the Bible cover to cover straight through, this is when they lose steam because it's really not continuing the narrative that we've been reading in Genesis and Exodus. So let's talk about where it fits in that narrative first, the bigger picture of salvation history. Can you tell us why does the book of Leviticus exist in the first place? Yeah, this is you're exactly right. This is where, uh, you know, those, those great aspirations of reading the Bible all the way through uh, hit a pretty big snag. Yeah, you know, and this is the genius of um, you know Jeff Cavins, one of my co-authors. Uh, the Bible timeline is is kind of reading the narrative books together first, and then going back to see the other books in light of that overarching story. So, narratively speaking, we would go from Genesis to Exodus to Numbers because uh, mm-hmm. we'd move from the Exodus to the Wilderness Wanderer. But Leviticus, as you say, is a non-narrative book. Yeah, the key, I think, I mean, a couple key things here. So, on the one hand, um, the Golden Calf is in Exodus thirty-two. This is pivotal, pivotal background, because that becomes kind of Israel's iconic fall. And the entire book of Leviticus, I mean, when you really think about the sheer number of chapters from Exodus 19, all the way through the end of the book of Exodus, all of Leviticus, numbers 1 through 10, all take place at Mount Sinai, and largely over the course of one year, following the golden calf. So Leviticus is really, in many ways, part of that kind of rehabilitation program for ancient Israel after the Golden Calf. And the Golden Calf, I mean, really, God has to get Israel out of Egypt. But the rest of the Bible is about getting Egypt out of Israel's heart. Uh, And the Golden Calf is sort of a return to Egyptian idolatry, Egyptian uh, worship, and things like that. And so Leviticus is in part a remedial program, in part even penitential, because of the wayward state uh, that Israel's in, and so you get this real pronounced emphasis of, of holiness as separation. Uh, so on the one hand, and there's more we can go into here, that part of the dynamics of Leviticus, part of why the covenant's gotten so complicated, 
and even burdensome, and even there's a distancing between God and the people, is because of Israel's sin. So that's kind of the negative side. On the positive side, though, and before we go on, I would just say this. The goal of Exodus, the goal of the book of Exodus, is not merely political liberation. That's how, often how it's read, but really right. the goal of the Exodus terminates in worship, in liturgical communion with God. And once you start to see that Jesus brings about a new Exodus, you start to see the cross is not the end, but like the first Exodus, it terminates, it culminates in worship and liturgical communion. And even Protestant scholars are seeing this. Well, if Jesus brings about a new Exodus, how did he think he would be worshipped in the new covenant? And then now you start to see the Eucharist and the Mass and the liturgy as the fulfillment of what was foreshadowed in the book of Leviticus. Yeah, so with the book of Leviticus, this is, I mean, there are a lot of a lot of laws or rules, I guess, uh, uh, set out for the Levitical priesthood, um, which is created right then at at the scene of the golden calf, right? Because the priesthood was was different prior to the golden calf. That's exactly right. So when you when you and a lot of people miss this too. There's there's really at least two different ways of seeing the priesthood in the Old Testament. The the more primordial priesthood is really what we call. Uh, the patriarchal priesthood or the priesthood of the firstborn. Uh, you see this, I mean, you can see with Adam, you see with Noah, you see with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they build altars, they offer sacrifice, they give the blessing, they do all these priestly things. And even in the context of the Passover, that, that, that primordial priesthood of, of, of the father in the home and passed on to the firstborn son, that's still operative. And it's at the golden calf, uh, Exodus thirty-two twenty-nine, uh, when the Levites step forward, and Moses says, today you have ordained yourselves for the service of the Lord. Today, that's really where they become priests, and they're ordained in Leviticus 8 and 9. And, and there's passages in number that show, uh, like Numbers 3, for example, that the Levites become surrogate firstborn sons. Um, so, yeah, there's a change in priesthood, and it has everything to do with the golden calf. And this is when Jesus, um, the book of Hebrews, letter of the Hebrews, brings this out as well. Jesus is not a Levite. So how can he be a priest? Right. Well, he's not a priest according to the order of Levi, but he, the, the order of Melchizedek, which really embodies that primordial priesthood. Um, and this is what Jesus is doing with the Twelve Apostles. They're like twelve new patriarchs. Um, and as grace presupposes, builds upon, and perfects, and elevates nature, so too the new covenant priesthood builds upon, perfects, and elevates that more ancient priesthood of the Father. Absolutely. So we've only got like a minute left. I can't nah, uh, But can you talk about how— the book of Leviticus, then, when we read it as as Catholics, can illuminate the liturgical life of the church. Oh gosh, it's such a such a fun question. Um, well, when you gosh, um, this is the thirty second uh, elevator speech. I, I guess when you look at the feast of ancient Israel, the Day of Atonement, the Passover, Tabernacles, they all find fulfillment in the New Covenant. And the heart of sacrifice, let me just leave this with your listeners here, is really a ritualized self-offering. It's a ritualized self-offering. Jesus' sacrifice is perfect because he offers himself, and we enter into this liturgical dynamic. This is what the New Covenant is all about. Really beautiful. Well done. Good elevator speech there, Andrew. <laughs> We're working on it. Remember that one for uh, for some real elevator rides. Really appreciate your thoughts this morning. Want to encourage listeners to pick up a copy of A Catholic Guide to the Old Testament, which you can find at ascensionpress.com slash Old Testament. We will look forward to uh, talking to you for the next couple of segments together, Andrew, to uh, 
do the book of Numbers and the book of Deuteronomy to round out the Pentateuch. So thank you so much for joining us this morning. No, thank you. You bet. Matt, okay, this is fascinating to me that I never really thought about. So the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, so Mm -hmm. they're supposed to, this is like an outdoor um, celebration to celebrate God's presence among his people. And, And if I remember correctly, um, the the Feast of Booths was supposed to be the, the last one. Like, everything else was going to be wiped away, and then it was just going to be the Feast of Booths. This is why they were, you know, bringing down tree branches uh, when Jesus entered uh, Jerusalem. And the thing is, they would go outside in tents. Like, this would be like this week-long festival in tents. What yes. does John chapter 1 when when we talk about the word became flesh and dwelt among us, what is that actually like literally? He made a dwelling. He yeah. pitched his tent among us. You notice in the transfiguration too, like Peter's like, this is the Yeah, guys, let's I think, make the tents. Let's make some tents here. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. You know, you've got to understand the the Jewish roots of what they're saying. If we don't know that, then there's so much that we're missing in the Gospels. Well, one thing I can tell you, Anna Mitchell, about salvation history, it's intense. It's intense. We got another full hour of the Sunrise Morning Show coming up. Please do stay with us. Even after that terrible pun. Even after that. Hey, you participate. It's 3 till. Wednesday, the 19th of July. Let's begin with a prayer to St. Jude for all who are sick. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. St. Jude, you witnessed the healing power of our Lord Jesus. You saw his compassion for the sick and dying. You yourself touched the sick, shared the sorrows of the mournful, and encouraged the despairing. You received this authority and healing power to work wonders, to cure the incurable, to make people whole. We ask you to intercede with our brother Jesus to send his saving grace to heal the sickness and suffering of all who are ill, to uplift their despondent spirits, and to instill hope in their hearts. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. It is a better way to continue through a Wednesday. Some of y'all been up early with us already. Uh, some of you just joining us here on the Sunrise Morning Show. We're glad that you're here and uh, part of the conversation. I'm Matt Swain. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls up this hour. We'll talk to Father Philip Michael Tangora, our canon law correspondent, as it were. Also, Carlo Broussard from Catholic Answers. And then after the news in the second part of the hour, Deacon Stephen Gray Donis has lots and lots of thoughts on the Mission Impossible franchise and the new Mission Impossible movie. And as always, we bring our entire Catholic paradigm to bear on questions even of film criticism. So stay with us if you can here on a Wednesday morning. Right now it is two minutes past 
News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. The Pope's special envoy for peace in Ukraine met with President Biden yesterday. A White House statement on the meeting with Cardinal Matteo Zuppi said, quote, President Biden shared his wishes for Pope Francis's continued ministry and global leadership and welcomed the recent nomination of a U.S. Archbishop as Cardinal. They also discussed the Holy See's efforts providing humanitarian aid to address the widespread suffering caused by Russia's continuing aggression in Ukraine, as well as the Vatican's advocacy for the return of forcibly deported Ukrainian children, end quote. Cardinal Zuppi is wrapping up his visit to the U.S. today. The apostolic nuncio to the U.S., Cardinal-elect Christophe Pierre, told media outlets that his mission has been to open a dialogue, to listen and be listened to, saying, quote, the idea is to consider peace amid the complicated context, Archbishop Pierre said. The cardinal is very realistic, and we try to do what we can, end quote. A summer heat wave is leaving parts of the U.S. with more blistering temperatures this week. Mark Mayfield reports. Phoenix, Arizona reached at least 110 degrees for the 19th day in a row Tuesday, breaking the previous record streak set nearly 50 years ago. Phoenix has been under an excessive heat warning the entire month of July and remains under notice until at least Friday. Elsewhere, El Paso, Texas has been in the triple digits for more than 30 straight days. The heat has also hit states like California, Nevada, and Florida, affecting tens of millions of Americans. I'm Mark Mayfield. Arguments are said to begin today in a lawsuit filed by 13 women who claim Texas's abortion laws kept them from receiving proper care while pregnant. The suit calls for clarification on the state's medical emergency exception after the women say they were denied abortions even when facing life-threatening complications. The feds are out with the latest numbers on illegal immigration, and it shows the lowest level of encounters since February of 2021. In a statement, the head of CPB, CBP credits the use of what is called Title VIII, which carries strict penalties for those who sneak across the border. The White House has also expanded legal pathways, pathways for many asylum seekers. In June, Border Patrol agents caught just over 99,000 illegal immigrants. That's a 42% decrease from the month before. June was also the first full month since the lifting of the Title 42 public health order, which had been used by the Trump administration to expedite deportations. Eight Catholic universities from across the globe have wrapped up a two-day conference in Milan pushing for an ethical embrace of artificial intelligence. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. Over 80 professors and researchers from eight Catholic universities in Chile, Spain, Australia, the U.S., Japan, Portugal, Brazil, and Spain met to discuss the challenges and opportunities presented by advances in artificial intelligence or AI. In their discussions at the conference entitled The Future of Catholic Universities in the AI Age, the researchers drew the conclusion that AI will lead to multidisciplinary overlap between hard sciences and social sciences. Professor Marco Carlo Passarotti, a professor at the Sacred Heart University, said the separation between humanities and science disciplines is likely to be relegated to the past due to the application of AI. 
Humanists have always made use of data, noted Professor Passarotti, but they have never had such a large amount of data at their fingertips and such a quality of massive processing. AI advances also present new challenges to researchers without threatening to obliterate their role. The Sacru professors agreed that AI can enable people to achieve a greater understanding of the world and themselves if it is used correctly and ethically. Universities offer a means to embrace the evolution of AI technologies and employ them in ways that put human beings at the center. Catholic universities have a strong duty to inform about the impact of AI, said Professor Passarotti, making it crucial to recognize and harness that impact to steer AI development towards an approach that is willing to respect human dignity and to avoid delegating moral responsibility to machines. In response to the challenges presented by AI, professors attending the Sacru Colloquium formulated a five-year strategy to foster cooperation among Catholic universities in their efforts to educate young people about the ethical embrace of artificial intelligence. I'm Devin Watkins. And Matt, you will be excited to learn that today is National Hot Dog Day means there will be plenty of specials and deals to be found at various retailers and restaurants around the country. Apparently, Americans eat about 70 hot dogs per capita each year. Really? That seems kind of low, actually. Do you think you've eaten, you eat more than 70 hot dogs in a year? Well... That would be two hot dogs because, you know... I mean, how many people eat just one hot dog if they're just eating hot dogs? So let's say two hot dogs, 35 days out of the year. So that's uh, one month's worth of hot okay. Yeah, that's – I think I – well, if you count sausages, I eat a lot of brats. Sure. And Italian sausages. But that's not chorizos. a hot dog. Not a hot dog. Okay. I can tell you this, that when there's a hot dog situation happening and I've got free access, I'll eat four or five of those things. Oh, really? I'm no Joey Chestnut, but (laughs) I'm telling you, I can hold my own. Yeah, I mean, they can be, I mean, yeah, they're kind of small. Yeah, well, but actually. That you would buy at like a grocery store anyway. Bear in mind also that. The Sunrise Morning Show is a production of Sacred Heart Radio in Cincinnati, home of Skyline Chili, which has extremely small hot dogs. Yeah. And their cheese conies. And mm-hmm. I could eat like 12 of those. Well, well it's I'm because they're probably closer to. I'm exaggerating. It's probably more like seven or eight that I could eat. It's because they're delicious. Hmm. It's the way I like hot dogs. I don't really like hot dogs very much unless they're doused in Skyline Chili. I can eat them. I don't, like, dislike them, but definitely not what I would choose at a cookout. All I can say is that you're telling me it's National Hot Dog Day, but I'm looking at my calendar, and it just says Wednesday of the 15th week of Ordinary Time. (laughs) So, Well, I thought that's where you probably would go, but, you know, you're into hot dogs. But it's hot dogs, and I do like hot dogs. But I'm not going to celebrate them as canonized. (laughs) That's not the kind of feast day I'm about. (laughs) Father Philip Michael Tangora now joining us. He is a pastor and a canon lawyer, joining us from the Diocese of Patterson, New Jersey. Father, good morning. Good morning, everybody. We get to talk about canon law and Alaska. Uh, there was an issue with the Alaska <laughs> Department of Corrections, and they did something that they thought was going to be uh, contributing to the safety 
of the environment in their correctional facilities turned out to be a, a religious liberty issue. I wonder if you could unpack it a little bit for us. Yeah, so they were banning, and this makes sense, you know, you're not supposed to have alcohol at a prison. And what they wanted to do was they were going to ban even wine uh, at, in, at the Mass. So then you can't have Mass. If there's no wine to consecrate to turn into the blood of Jesus Christ, then you can't have Mass. And I'm sorry for my groggly voice. <clears throat> but the situation is that that would be an obstruction of religious liberty, because that would obstruct the ability for any Catholic uh, jailmate to be uh, able to celebrate and worship their God in accord with their Catholic faith. So essentially banning Mass from the jail. Now this was uh, corrected because of a few things. Um, among other things, I don't, I don't think that the Alaska Department of Corrections realized the magnitude of what they were doing because uh, very likely the people coming up with this restriction were not uh, probably daily communicants at the local Catholic parish, right? Uh, very often people who are we outside of not. the Catholic faith, right, do not <laughs> understand not. why this matters. But why does it matter? Exactly. Like why, why can't they just stick with the, the bread and consecrate that? Why do we need both bread and wine? Well, it's the concept of the fact that the, it's the whole body of Jesus Christ. It's his body, blood, soul, and divinity, crucified and resurrected, true God and true man. That is what the Eucharist is. And so to separate the body from the blood would be to uh, not then have the complete celebration of the Eucharist, of, of the Mass. And so you can't, you can't have the consecration of one species without the other. In fact, that is a sacrilege that would be a grave delict, uh, so the most highest of crimes to consecrate one species of the Eucharist separate from the other. So this, is, uh, this goes to the very heart of the celebration of the Mass, and that's why it is, and it's so very integral to the unity of the body of the Eucharist that we cannot uh, allow for that to happen. And that's why this was such a central uh, issue uh, affecting religious liberty and the right to worship in accord with one's faith. Well, it seems to me like this is an easily avoidable problem uh, if you just use a little common sense and rationality in regard to it, because, well, well, for a couple reasons. One is that, you know, Father Steve is not going to be bringing in a case of Pinot Grigio, <laughs> right? He's going to be Most bringing likely in... not. Right, and, enough and to prison, celebrate mass. So it and he's could probably be very not easily secured. Yeah, he's probably not going to offer the cup. I would think a prison the, knows how to secure things. You would think. Uh, <laughs> my, my guess is that you know, even if that mass is celebrated, these people are receiving communion, right? Prisoners are probably not going to be offered that cup, or they can. We can just say we're not going to offer the cup, but that could be the priest's right. call, right, rather than the prison's call. Well, but the thing is that I could even see the prison going up to the prison chaplain and saying, listen, we don't want the precious blood administered to them because they're going to do it just to drink alcohol. That's, they're not going to, you know, they could, have that, they could have that question. And the chaplain and the warden would be able to have that conversation about what they feel would be the best practice in that regard. However, 
this all could have been avoided if they had talked to the Catholic chaplain to that prison before having issued a statement that would affect the worship of a community of that prison population, the Catholic community specifically, just they should have had that conversation with the chaplain. Again, one of those other situations, I mean, there's not numerous situations like this all over the country uh, happening at the federal level, the state level, the local level, and, you know, even the correctional facility level where, you know, people do big blanket ideas because it's mm-hmm. easier than just having common sense conversations. But, uh, you know, there's there's kind of an unintended benefit to this, uh, Father. I mean, there's a part of it, you know, that just is annoying to you, I'm sure, as a canon lawyer. And to me, as someone who's constantly watching religious liberty stuff just be like a hot mess to discuss. Um, but it, the the fringe benefit is that the Alaska Department of Corrections got some, uh, I don't know, unintended catechesis in the process. I mean, like, there's some stuff that people probably learned here. Absolutely, absolutely. And the good thing about that, like you're saying, is that it's being better taught. And that also probably is going to affect this whole Eucharistic revival that the bishops have launched throughout the whole of the United States of America. And it's so very important that what we do is avoid the conflict by greater evangelization, greater efforts in teaching. If we can make it very clearly known uh, that this is what we believe and this is how we worship, and it's central to our identity, it's essential to us, that that will change a lot of the uh, the issues that we had. I mean, if you look at the pandemic and the closing of churches and all these kinds of things, if we had maybe a better evangelization before that, that the government recognized this would be infringing an essential element to Catholic worship, to not be able to have people receive the Eucharist because you're closing down a church, well, then that would be probably have been a better uh, circumstance. So we need to get that message out. We need to evangelize better. But we have to not just focus on Catholics, but we have to get it out to the whole world so that even those who aren't Catholic understand, in very basic terms at least, this is what we believe, this is who we are as Catholics. The Eucharist is an essential, it's constitutive to the Church, it's constitutive to our worship. And so this is how we uh, express ourselves in prayer, and that's why we need to have uh, this Eucharistic revival in this country, and throughout the world, honestly, so that there would be, uh, amongst not just Catholics, but all people, this understanding, you can't do that. That's Because religious liberty requires that you have at least a carve-out for these people to be able to worship God, to pray, and to express themselves and their religious identity. And I think really that's the big issue. You have to, when you're making general uh, policy statements, general laws, you have to provide a religious liberty carve-out. Well, and thankfully there are great people trying to continue to fight on that front to make sure those carve-outs exist. Thanks so much, Father Phil. We're back with headlines right after this. It's 17 past. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? 
Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare. 844-334-3245. Tis the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange, and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. EWTN, communicating the faith. And all the people who are working so hard to get us on radio, you know, that's wonderful. And even if you reach 100 miles or 50 miles, you help spread the word. And we do all the programming for you. Programming is the expensive stuff, you know, so you don't have to worry about programming. And so we want to thank you for everything you've done to make this radio possible. EWTN, live truth, live Catholic. 19 past, here's Anna with headlines. The Pope's special envoy for peace in Ukraine met with President Biden at the White House yesterday. A summer heat wave is leaving parts of the U.S. with more blistering temperatures this week, and Catholic University of America is asking for some emergency meetings with the Metropolitan Police Department in the wake of several violent crimes near campus. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Uh, Anna Mitchell, as we're talking about some of those restrictions that could be avoided if a better conversation was had, I couldn't help but think about uh, during COVID when there was an executive order in the state of Virginia saying that uh, any vessels used during religious services uh, that contained food or beverage needed to be disposable. Mm-hmm. And uh, a little pushback got that. <laughs> Yeah, got that taken care of. But like, yeah, we're not doing disposable chalices. Nope. Not Sorry. Happening. Sorry. Not going to work. Not going to work with you on that one. It's 21 past. It is the season for iced tea. If you're looking for some unique flavors to enjoy, the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of options, including lemongrass mint, ginger orange and blossoming jasmine. Go check them out through our link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. And when you make a purchase, we earn a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a mug or etched travel mug, which are available in our online store. Get your mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee for tea at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track. 
by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Hello, this is Father Mark Watkins, pastor of St. Lawrence the St. Monica Sodality Prayer for Fallen Away Catholics. Eternal and merciful Father, I give you thanks for the gift of your divine Son who suffered, died, and rose for all mankind. You gave St. Monica a spirit of selfless love manifested in her constant prayer for the conversion of her son, Augustine. Inspired by boundless confidence in your power to move hearts, I pray the grace to imitate her constancy in my heart for those who no longer share in the intimate life of your Catholic family. Grant through my prayer that they may be open to the promptings of your Holy Spirit and return to loving union with your church. Grant that also my prayer be ever hopeful and that I may never judge another for you alone can read hearts. I ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. It's 23 minutes past the hour, and you're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Carlo Broussard. He's an apologist with Catholic Answers, author of The New Relativism, Unmasking the Philosophy of Today's Woke Moralists. You can find him online at carlobroussard.com. Invite him to speak through Catholic Answers Speakers. Dot com. You are still looking for speaking gigs, right, Carlo? Absolutely, Anna. I'm always ready to rock and roll, whether it's your second grade first communion class, your confirmation class, or adults in the pew, or the lecture at the university hall. They can get in touch with us by calling us at Catholic Answers or just going to CatholicAnswersSpeakers.com, as you said, Anna. What kind of stuff do you talk about, Carlo? Oh, a variety of uh, topics, Anna, from God's existence and atheism to the papacy to Mary, the saints, to defending Jesus and the historicity of the Gospels. So a variety of topics. Well, awesome. So CatholicAnswersSpeakers.com, again, is where you can go get more information about getting Carlo out to your parish or to your second grade class, which I think would be (laughs) super fun. So. And I've done it, too, even a three-hour retreat for second-grade class. Really? Yes, but I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> <laughs> that was a little much for you, but, you know, yeah. you know, challenge Carla. I did it. That's awesome. It. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, let's dive into your book now, The New Relativism. Um, we're going to be starting off in in a section in here on total relativism. So first off, give us a definition of total relativism. Yeah, so total relativism is the philosophical worldview that there is no absolute truth whatsoever, whether we're talking about morality, history, science, religion, whatever it may be, there's no absolute truth. There's no truth independent of what you or I happen to think. Truth is relative to either what the individual says or even what a group or a collection of individuals would say. 
some philosophers call that society says relativism, mm -hmm. the individual, I say relativism. So that's total relativism. And there are a few modern woke moral commands that I see as categorized or classified within that category or form of relativism. Okay, let me and stop you there for the just a forms, second, Carlo, yeah. because I want to back up from for one one moment, because um, yeah. I personally don't have a great grounding in philosophy. And so yeah. I'm going to assume that that many of our listeners don't have a great grounding in philosophy either um, and, and might actually fall into relativistic thinking if we're not careful. Um, can you give us or explain for us the difference between relative and absolute truth that you're talking about here? Yes. So absolute truth. That means there is reality, there is truth independent of what you think, of what I think, or what Joe Blow down the street thinks. There is a reality that we can all, that our minds can all come to know, okay? Relativism says there is no reality that's independent, objective, from what you think, I think, or Joe Blow thinks down the street. Hmm. And we have our own realities, my own reality, your own reality, Joe Blow's own reality. That's what relativism says. Notice it wouldn't be a difference of opinion about what we think reality is. Rather, it would be our own distinct realities. So what you say is true, that's going to be your own reality. And what I say is true is going to be my own reality. So it's relative to my own belief system. Wow. That's fascinating. It's pretty radical. Yeah, that is, that's why I, I mean, call total relativism. When you yeah. actually hear the definition, you think yeah. that's outrageous. And people really it, believe that? <laughs> yes. In fact, you would think that people do not believe that, especially this to this day, but in fact, it is embedded in some of the modern woke moral commands. And this is embodied in the common catchphrase, you have your truth, I have mine, right? Right, right. And that was the quote-unquote old relativism. People were going around saying that, well, that's your truth, I have my own truth. And people were pretty explicit about that. But you would think that no longer exists because we have all of these modern woke moral commands. You can't be a white supremacist. Well, how can you say white supremacy is wrong, and you're wrong for believing in it and being a white supremacist, when there's no absolute truth, when there's no truth that's independent of what you and I happen to think? And so you would think that total relativism is gone, right? You would think it's gone and is done with. But as we'll talk about, I'm sure, in, uh, in future segments, that this total relativism is alive and well, and it's lurking behind some of these modern absolutes, especially thou shall not be a white supremacist. Yeah. So just quickly, because we've only got about a minute here, Carlo, right. um, just what are the, the, the ways that you see that you cover in the book total relativism playing out in the world today? Yes. Yeah, so thou shall not be a white supremacist. Whenever you unspin the modern spin of that command, you discover very quickly that it's total relativism. Wow. Because what people mean by white supremacy is affirming objective truth. Thou shalt not impose is another one, and thou shalt not say he or she. So hmm. contemporary gender ideology. And we'll unpack all that, Anna, in a future segment. Oh, man. 
I cannot wait to unravel this. It's going to be fun. It is. Hang on. This is Buckle up. Fasten your seatbelts, folks. The New Relativism is the book. You can find it through Catholic Answers Press and linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. And don't forget, you can invite Carlo to speak through catholicanswersspeakers.com. Carlo, it was good to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Anna. It was great talking with you. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. The Pope's special envoy for peace in Ukraine met with President Biden at the White House yesterday. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. The meeting took place at 5 p.m. on Tuesday and lasted around two and a half hours. A statement released by the White House said that President Biden shared his wishes for Pope Francis's continued ministry and global leadership. The president and the cardinal also spoke about the Holy See's efforts providing humanitarian assistance to address the widespread suffering caused by Russia's continuing aggression in Ukraine. They went on to discuss the Vatican's advocacy for the return of the estimated 19,000 Ukrainian children who have been brought to Russia since its renewed invasion in February 2022. Ukraine's government says the true number of Ukrainian children in Russia could be much higher. Cardinal Zuppi, the Archbishop of Bologna and President of the Italian Bishops' Conference, had already brought up the topic during his previous missions to Kiev in early June and Moscow later in the month. Cardinal Zuppi traveled to Washington on Monday along with an official from the Vatican Secretariat of State, and his visit is due to conclude on Wednesday. Ahead of his meeting with President Biden, the Cardinal met on Capitol Hill with several members of the U.S. Congress. The Holy See Press Office had announced on Monday that Cardinal Zuppi would visit Washington to promote peace in Ukraine. Speaking on Tuesday to several Italian media outlets, the Apostolic Nuncio to the United States said Cardinal Zuppi's mission is to open a dialogue, to listen and be listened to. Cardinal-elect Christophe Pierre said Pope Francis hopes to contribute to peace and more specifically to find inroads on humanitarian grounds, particularly with regard to children. The idea is to consider peace amid the complicated context, said the Apostolic Nuncio, adding that the Cardinal is very realistic and that we try to do what we can. I'm Devin Watkins. A summer heat wave is leaving parts of the U.S. with more blistering temperatures this week. Phoenix, Arizona reached at least 110 degrees for a 19th day in a row yesterday. That breaks the previous record streak of set nearly 50 years ago. Phoenix has been under an ex- excessive heat warning the entire month of July and remains under the notice at least until Friday. Elsewhere in El Paso, Texas, they've been in triple digits or more for more than 30 straight days. The heat has also hit states like California, Nevada, and Florida, affecting tens of millions of Americans. Catholic University of America is asking for some emergency meetings with the Metropolitan Police Department in the wake of several violent crimes on or near campus. The university released a statement last night saying they received a report of a shooting death the night before near campus, saying they do not yet know whether the victim or the perpetrator has any connection to CUA. This following an assault last week involving a recent graduate. Not mentioned in the release last night was a murder earlier this month that occurred on campus. CUA said, quote, the increase in violent crime near our campus is a critical issue that requires serious attention, especially on the perimeter of our campus. 
We have asked for emergency meetings with the MPD's 4th and 5th districts to address the serious concerns we have about the crime that has occurred just footsteps away from our campus, end quote. The two IRS whistleblowers who say the Justice Department interfered with the criminal investigation into Hunter Biden will testify at a House hearing today. More from Brian Shook. House Republicans set the hearing after one of the whistleblowers, IRS supervisory agent Gary Shapley, went public with the allegations. The lead U.S. attorney in the Hunter Biden case and Attorney General Merrick Garland have denied the allegations. Last month, the president's son reached a deal to plead guilty in the tax and gun case and agreed to accept about two years probation and enter a diversion program. I'm Brian Shook. A U.S. soldier is in custody in North Korea. Mark Mayfield has the story. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin told reporters Tuesday that a U.S. service member willfully and without authorization crossed the demilitarized zone from South Korea into North Korea. Austin said officials are working to address the incident and notify the soldier's family. Reports say the soldier was being escorted back to the U.S. for disciplinary reasons and somehow managed to slip through security and joined a U.N. tour of the demilitarized zone. He has not been publicly identified. I'm Mark Mayfield. The soldier's mother has said she's shocked and just wants her son to come home. That's the news. It's 35 past the... This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by writing the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the monk shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, why do we receive the gift of wisdom? We receive the gift of wisdom to give us a relish for the things of God and to direct our life and all our actions to His honor and glory. Relish. This indicates a liking for the things of God. As St. Jose Maria Escriva would say, we should love the will of God, not merely abandon ourselves to it. And the gift of wisdom helps us to guide our steps along His way. It's as if a man were standing on top of a cliff and could see all roads laid out before him, and now he directs himself to the goal of those roads, which is heaven itself. With the gift of wisdom, we find delight in God. We actually enjoy to be with him. And so, because of that, we direct our life to him. Come, Holy Spirit, fill my heart with the gift of wisdom, so that everything that I do may be directed to your honor and glory. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. Sunrise Morning Show continues, and we've been doing a lot with Deacon Stephen Gray Donis lately about 
sort of legacy films, the franchises they produced them, and then going on to look at the latest installment in the series of them. Deacon Steven, good morning. Good morning, Matt. So today we get to talk about Mission Impossible, and you've written quite a bit about this over the years. And of all the series that uh, someone who doesn't know you and your film critic world that you would be drawn to, someone might think, oh, this is just one of those rock'em, sock'em, you know, action things that, you know, actual critics don't like. But you like Mission Impossible. Why? Well, first of all, let me just say Mission Impossible is really popular among critics as well as audiences. But I do have to say that for the first three films, this series just did not connect with me. Uh, All of them have interesting sequences. They all also have drawbacks. And it's very interesting to me that at the end of all of the first three films, Ethan Hunt is always ready to walk away from the IMF. Tom Cruise's character is always ready to, to, to just retire. And at the end of every film, I felt ready to walk away from the franchise, too. But then a funny thing happened in the fourth installment of this series, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Suddenly, the movie took a quantum leap forward into a new style of set pieces. Tom Cruise uh, embarked on, on a style of action movie making that emphasized doing real practical stunts on location without green screens, without a lot of computer work, and pushing himself and his character to the limit, not just of what anyone had ever seen a star like Cruz do before, but what anyone had seen anyone do before. He was uh, climbing on the Burj Khalifa. He was hanging onto the edge of, of jet airplanes ascending. He was, now he's, he's leaping off of, he's, he's riding off of a cliff on a motorcycle in, in the new film, um, um, Dead Reckoning Part One. And Cruz makes this stuff riveting. He, he's, he's really doing these things, and there's, there's an electric connection between the star and the audience as we watch him uh, push himself and this franchise to the limit. Well, it is a fascinating thing to watch for so many reasons. Uh, one, because, you know, the spy thriller really is, you know, I mean, it's a thing that, that, that has some traction. You know, there's like the chess game aspect of it. There's the, um, I mean, I thought uh, particularly in the, the film where it was uh, Tom Cruise up against Henry Cavill, right? This constant, like, you know, who's going to get the last word? And you know that Tom Cruise is going to get the last word, but man... <laughs> Henry Cavill gives him run for his money, right? I mean, there's like this sense in which, uh, you know, I think in so many action movies, um, there you you already know that the hero's going to survive, that you don't get real super emotionally invested. I feel like uh, in the Mission Impossible movies, Tom Cruise has given us a kind of a way to help us feel a little bit emotionally invested in his character. Like, I don't know, man, is he going to make this one? Well, part of what that part of what that connection is is something that was discovered, and we talked about this in our, our previous segment on Harrison Ford and Indiana Jones. Although, really, I think as far as I can push it back, it goes back to Jackie Chan, who did a, a, he kind of um, he defined himself in contradistinction to Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee was always impassive and always cool. Jackie Chan was the guy who could be intimidated in a fight. He could get hurt. He could get scared. He, w- he would wince in pain. Uh, he would run away when necessary. And we see the same kind of vulnerability, this attractive vulnerability in Indiana Jones in Raiders of the Lost Ark when he squares off against the, the German, um, the big muscle-bound German guy. 
Uh, we see it in John McClain in the first Die Hard. And starting the Ghost Protocol, we really see it in Ethan Hunt. I think it's really the scene where he's trying to escape from the hospital, the, the Russian hospital in Moscow, and he's standing on that ledge with this Russian agent looking at the window incredulously, contemplating the possibility of taking a dive into a dumpster four stories below. And for the first time, we see Ethan Hunt blink in the face of a life-or-death challenge and realize that he doesn't like his odds. It's, it's that the vulnerability that makes him an attractive character. You know, it, it, I'm glad you mentioned Jackie Chan because Jackie Chan captures probably better than just about anybody the whole I can't believe that actually worked vibe <laughs> right in the course of a movie. Uh, you know, when he does something and it turns out that it works, he's like seems as shocked as the rest of us uh, sometimes. But, you know, um, before we get into and we will spend some time on the, the new Mission Impossible movie. You can't talk about Tom Cruise as this person that everybody loves on film without talking about Tom Cruise as this person that everybody is like kind of weirded out by in real life <laughs> you know we talked about this a little bit with top gun so i mean how does this i mean is it just kind of a testament to the incredible charisma of cruise himself I, I really think what we're seeing in the new mission impossible movies is cruise's reaction to all of the bad, bad press that he got in the 2000s with his controversial views about psychiatry and um, um, antidepressants and, and Scientology, he really came across as, as a nut and an un unlikable person. And so what he's trying to do here is to rebrand himself as the crazy nut of action movie making. He's gone silent on his personal views. He doesn't talk about his personal life. He's all about the work. And, you know, people are complicated, and I don't know if Tom Cruise contains multitudes, but... I think it's safe to say there's a few different dudes in there, and and one of them knows how to make really riveting action-adventure movies. And, and the reason why that's so compelling is that we know that movies are an illusion. We know, yes, he's hanging on the edge of the plane, but there is a safety harness. Um, he's climbing on the edge of the Bur Burj Khalifa, but there are tethers that have been erased by computers. And yet, the illusion of movies is made up of little bits and pieces of reality. And you see somebody in a musical appearing to sing, but you know that they're really just lip syncing and someone else is singing for them. It's not the same as when you see Hugh Jackman and you know he's doing his own singing and his own dancing. That, that's a gift to the audience. He's, he's working for our entertainment. And when we see Cruz doing what, what he does, you just can't capture that in a Marvel Cinematic Universe action scene where we know that it's all being done with green screens and computers. And just the, everybody's weapon is just like weird lights shooting out of everybody's hands, right? It's a different kind of vibe. Uh, you talk about the number of people in there. I mean, Tom Cruise, people in Cincinnati sometimes, you know, refer back to him as when he was known as Thomas Cruise Mapather and going to St. Francis Seminary in Cincinnati, you know, possibly looking at the priesthood. So complicated dude, to say the least. But we're going to talk more about the new Mission Impossible movie after the break. You ready? Here in a little bit. Yeah, Absolutely. All right, well, then we'll do it. Plus headlines and Anna Mitchell. Stay with us. It's a quarter till. For more than 150 years, the Comboni missionaries have served the poorest and most forgotten people. With our founders and Daniel Comboni as an inspiration, we work for the full development of the human person through evangelization, education, and advocacy. Your donations make a huge impact, and 95% are used to fund our many projects. 
Find out more at kombonimissionaries.org. That is kombonimissionaries.org. I'm Matt Swain, grateful that Visiting Angels underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show. People ask how they can care for older family members who can't fully care for themselves. Visiting Angels assists adults nationwide to continue living at home rather than a nursing home. Experienced, compassionate caregivers provide assistance in hygiene, meals, and light housework. And services are provided up to 24 hours per day with caregiver selection before service begins. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Do you use a single brew coffee maker at your home or in your workplace? The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have single-use coffee pods especially for you. Go to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sunrisemorningshow.com, to browse the monk shot options. When you check out, we'll earn a commission. And why not brew it straight into a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug? You can find those in our online store. Buy a mug and link for some monk shots for your Keurig at sonrisemorningshow.com. EWTN is everywhere. EWTN radio programming is provided free of charge to over 500 domestic and international AM and FM radio stations. It's a great teaching tool for Catholics and non-Catholics alike. For a complete list of EWTN AM and FM stations across America, visit EWTNradio.net. At the bottom of the page, click Affiliates. EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. It is Wednesday, July 19th. Here's Anna with head, with headlines. The Pope's special envoy for peace in Ukraine, Cardinal Matteo Zuppi, met with President Biden at the White House yesterday to discuss the war in Ukraine. Catholic University of America is asking for some emergency meetings with the Metropolitan Police Department in the wake of several violent crimes on and near campus. And a summer heat wave is leaving parts of the U.S. with more blistering temperatures this week. I apologize. I, I almost said that here's Anna Mitchell with hairlines instead of headlines. That's okay. That would have been weird. Well, I'm glad you caught yourself, but now you've just exposed your near slip-up. Well, you have headlines and a hairline. I have neither. <laughs> it's 13 yeah. minutes past the hour. All right, so the latest in the Mission Impossible, but not the last in the Mission Impossible franchise, is Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. And we're looking at that with Deacon Stephen Graydonis of DecentFilms.com. Okay, if you could catch us up on the premise, and then we'll dig in a little bit. So in the last few Mission Impossible movies, um, the IMF's opponent has been some kind of nihilistic psycho who believes that you know, nuclear devastation is going to be the best thing for humanity. And, and after a number of movies about this, the film is moving on in this two-part episode, Dead Reckoning Part 1 with Part 2 to come next year, um, against an enemy that is literally artificial intelligence. There is an experimental AI that is called the Entity. It's, it's gone rogue, and it's embarked on a, a global career to who knows what end, there are efforts in the movie to destroy it, but also to control it, because the, um, the, the nation that gets control of the entity will have an impossible advantage over all other nations on Earth. Um, and, and this has really interesting moral implications that resonate 
in ways that I find very interesting with uh, with this with this particular stage in Cruz's career. Well, not just this particular stage in Cruz's career, but also this particular stage in the moral universe that you and I are inhabiting right now, where uh, we've had a guest on the show a couple of times uh, here, uh, Father Philip LeRae, who is a Thomist working for the Vatican, trying to figure out what the Church teaches about artificial intelligence based on what we've taught about everything else so far. But as we continue to unpack this question about the new Mission Impossible Age of Ultron, uh, if you could, like, how do they handle the moral implications of this? So a thing that I find really kind of, of winsome about this late stage in Cruz's career is that there's a deep humanism to it. Humanism in the best sense, not secular humanism, but the kind of, of humanism that really uh, regards the dignity of, of human beings and, and of the human person. We see this in Gun Maverick, where uh, instead of being a mission that's about drones and, and computers solving the problems, it comes down to human beings and, and what human beings are capable of. So, so this is really what, what Dead Reckoning explores is how an ascendant AI would essentially relativize the, the value of human life and, and human morality. It would create an entirely new moral situation in which um, the, the kind of world that Ethan and the IMF have been fighting for is, is now uh, obsolete. Um, Ethan is convinced that the power that the entity represents is too much for any human being to, to, uh, to have access to, and so he wants to destroy the entity in order to preserve the human race. Well, I mean, I kind of, I'm kind of with him on some of that, uh, <laughs> you know. Um, but uh, you know, one of the things that makes the impossible, the Mission Impossible um, vibe work so well, also is you know just the 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 supporting cast. I think specifically of Ving Rhames and Simon Pegg, who have become, uh, in some ways, like comic relief, but also I think really integral parts of the whole chess game question uh, that really makes Mission Impossible work, which is that as you see Tom Cruise do things they like they're talking through they're brainstorming they're like it's almost like working through a puzzle with the team does that come through in this it, it not only does that come through with it but it's foregrounded as we have a new character uh, a burglar named Grace who's played by Haley Atwell um, who is unwillingly brought into the circle of the IMF and and begins to get to know uh, Ethan Hunt as as someone who will always value the lives of his team members above his own life, and and who is incapable, as um, Alec Alec uh, Baldwin said in the last movie, incapable of choosing millions of lives uh, at at the cost of one life, sacrificing one life to save millions. Ethan will never make that decision. He will always risk himself rather than risking his teammates. Um, so so there is this. There's this real moral dimension to Ethan's actions when he takes that motorcycle ride that we've seen so many times online. He, he drives a motorcycle off of the edge of a cliff in order to parachute down and try to make contact with a train at the bottom of this gorge. He's doing it to save the world, but he's also doing it for the sake of one person who has taken a leap of faith, who has put herself and her trust in his hands and who really needs him to be there. And there is nothing that Ethan Hunt won't do in order to, um, in order to be there for the person who's counting on him. Well, that opens up more questions than we've got time for. 
with that concept. <laughs> but uh, uh, I, if our listeners want to connect with you and catch your reviews of the previous Mission Impossible movies and see what you got to say about the latest, how do they do so? Uh, watch for my, my upcoming uh, essay on Ethan Hunt's second act and, and Tom Cruise's third at DecentFilms.com. And we'll be back next week and talk about this some more because i got a lot more to say. All right. Well, we look forward to it. You know, and Anna Mitchell, it is amazing how rapidly so many conversations have become about AI and, you know, mm-hmm. the ethical implications of it. Uh, I mean, it is something that we do need to continue to address and, and, and think about. And, uh, and well, and I loved out. his point about Hugh Jackman, you know, doing the song and dance numbers and Tom Cruise actually doing his own stunts, that there's really something to be said for them doing that work themselves for their audience. And well, it goes back to this, this question of, uh, of reality and fantasy and digital stuff, even on the meta level, right? Because objectively speaking, the special effects in, for example, Raiders of the Lost Ark are not as good as the special effects probably in Transformers Rise of the Beasts. But there's something about them that is somehow strangely more compelling. Uh, the simple and elements, endearing for that matter, right? Yeah, of of physical things with physical properties, uh, engaging in a you know an imagination, uh, right, of a director taking some sort of like real physical form uh, on the screen and then being given to the audience. And the reason that I put it in those very specific terms, Anna Mitchell, is because there's you know, out in the world, a, you know, an idea of Christian worship that is polished and produced and, you know, plays on the emotions and has big productions. But there's something about the mass where the divine genius comes down and uses real live physical things that has like a sort of compelling nature. And I mean, and you use the word too, endearing Mm -hmm. quality and principle that you can't just go th- go out and like recreate in a lab, mm-hmm. um, and so when you and I have these conversations about you know people ask us you know, what do you guys talk about you know on the on your radio show we're like only the things that the Catholic Church has something to say about which is everything everything because because of this very principle because the incarnation it the the divine life coming and interacting with the physical world specifically in the person of Jesus Christ, changes the way that we think about all this stuff. Everything. Everything. And what we have in the Catholic Church, in the Mass particularly, is something so far greater than anything that artificial intelligence could ever come up with. And that would be the communion of saints and the cherubim and seraphim and thrones and dominions gathering around that altar. We can't see it, but it's there. And what's interesting, Anna Mitchell, is that there have been people who've tried to depict it, uh, you know, on film and through CGI. It's just trying to give people a window. And every time I see that, I'm like, ah, I don't know. But the real thing's a lot better. You what know, I love are the the artistic renditions of this trying to capture it. Somebody actually yeah. using their own imagination and putting it in, you know, paint or ink. But and even those are limited by two and three dimensions and totally. physical representations of totally. an ultimate spirituality. Shame we're out of time. I know. Well, we'll be back again tomorrow on the Sunrise Morning Show. 
Until then, have a wonderful day. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.